Okay, welcome to the church that gathers at Bethel Baptist. My name is Josh. If you don't know who I am, welcome. Uh, We gather for this reason, it's the gospel. Simply put, Jesus in our place. And every week we welcome our new guest and we welcome those who are watching online with a round of applause. So here's what we're going to do today. I'm going to ask our sixth grade and under, you're going to be the ones who applaud. That means clap. So uh, when I give you a three, you're going to welcome everyone who's new and everyone who's watching online. Okay, boys and girls, you're ready. One, two, three. That's our way of saying we're so glad that you're worshiping with us. And, and I make a lot of phone calls to our homebound, to those who are new, and, and those that can't physically worship here, they said that just us acknowledging that they're there means the world to them. So thank you for doing that, church. Uh, today we're continuing through the book of Judges. It's getting worse every week. I'm sorry, not my fault. I'm just a preacher. Um, Judges 13, and we're going to again see that the people did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. But I have the privilege of presenting to you the most famous judge in the book of Judges. You might have heard of him. An angel announced his birth. It's true. You might have heard how this judge killed a lion with his bare hands. That's also true. You might have heard how this judge was the master riddler. He did that also. You might have heard how this man personally trapped 300 fox is fox foxes 300 of the the fox and tied them together, set them on fire to destroy the Philistine field. So if you are keeping a track at home, that's question number 3. How many Fox did Samson tie up is 300. You might have also heard how this judge killed 1,000 men with the fresh jawbone of a donkey. That's also true. But there's much more to Samson the man than fanciful feats of strength and master riddlers and Angelic proclamations. Really, Simpson is the story of, of a man who is strong on the outside, but spiritually weak on the inside. It's, it's the story of someone who wants the world to see that they have life together, but on the inside he realizes that's not true. Now, I know you can't relate to that. But if there's anyone here today that feels like I need to show the world, I need to show the church right now that I have everything together, strong on the outside, but inside I'm crumbling. You're here, you're at a good place. Because none of us have it all together. That's why Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Because none of us have it together. And he died to make us right. Because one day Jesus will put everything together again. That is the hope that we have. So let's read Judges chapter 13. Not the whole chapter, I promise. And then we're going to go to the Lord to ask Him to open our hearts and our minds. Judges 13, 3 through 5. Judges is in the Old Testament, after Joshua, before Ruth. 
Judges 13, verse 3, I'm reading from the CSB. That's the Christian Standard Bible. The angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, It is true that you are unable to conceive and have no children, but you will conceive and give birth to a son. Now, please be careful not to drink wine or beer or to eat anything unclean, for indeed you will conceive and give birth to a son. You must never cut his hair, because the boy will be a Nazarite to God from birth. And he will begin to save Israel from the power of the Philistines. Hear the word of the Lord. So we read here that Samson's parents experienced the struggle of many. There are many who are unable to have children. And if you read verses 1 through 2, you, you realize that this family was desperate This husband and wife were desperate for a young family. And amid the the heartache of infertility and this struggle, an angel appears. Now before we look at the birth announcement, let me say this to to some of you. Some of you, the the story of infertility in Judges is your story. I want you to know that God sees you and He hears you. Some of you look back at your life and you say, well, I've never had biological children of my own. And we're reminded in the scriptures that God may not give you biological children, but by his grace, he has made you his child. And so if this story is your your story, if, if this story of infertility is your story of struggle... I want you to know that God knows you and you can rest in his care today. That's an aside, but I I just feel like that needs to be said. And then this announcement comes to Samson's parents. The angel of the Lord appeared. Now, Samson did not have your typical gender reveal party. Samson had a Samson's parents had a divine messenger who prescribed that this boy would be born and he would be a Nazarite. Now, examples of other Nazarites in scripture would be Samuel and most likely John the Baptist. Now, Numbers chapter 6 verse 2 says that a Nazarite could be a man or a woman. We're going to talk about why that is important. You see, the Nazarite vow comes from the Old Testament because in God's economy, only male Levites, that's people who are from the house of Levi, could be dedicated and serve the Lord in the temple. So in essence, the priests in Israel were the holy people. So in God's economy, only the priests were those who could be holy and they were holy for the nation who would be holy to the world. And so most of the population could not be a priest because God told them you cannot be. It will be from Aaron's lineage. But the Nazarite vow was open to anyone who wanted to make a promise to God. You see, the Nazarite vow was about ordinary people doing extraordinary things for the kingdom. Anyone else have hope in that statement? 
The Nazarite vow, God told his community, hey, ordinary people can do extraordinary things by my power. God said, in his word, through the Nazarite vow, third time, that ordinary people, you, me, could do extraordinary things by his strength and his power. Listen. It's the reminder that the Nazarite vow was a visible sign that Adonai will do great things through his people. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, We are ambassadors for Christ. If you have given your life to Jesus, you are his ambassador to the world. And it says that God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. This is what the gospel is about. The gospel is about making ordinary people holy people. The the Nazarite vow in miniature is what the gospel is for all people. It is Jesus saying, if you give your life to me, I will make people who are broken and ordinary and profane and unclean, I will make you a holy people. I will clean you up and make you ritually appropriate to be in the presence of God. That is the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Jesus makes ordinary people holy. And so God gives Samson this vow from birth. The Nazarite vow, children, are you listening, right? The Nazarite vow includes three specific elements. This is question number one. The first is this, and it's given in Judges chapter 3, that they are to abstain from wine or beer. Now, number 6 actually says any fruit of the vine. No grapes, no raisins. For those of you who like grapeco, that's out also. Right? So no, no grapes. It's setting apart someone who's ordinary for holy purposes. The second part of Samson's vow and the Nazarite vow was that they could not touch anything that was unclean. Now this is going to come back later in the story. Specifically for the Nazarite, they could not touch anything that was dead. Because touching something that was dead would make them unclean. So the second part of the vow, no grapes, no death. No uncleanliness. The third part of the vow was very simply the most visible aspect of the vow. It was that no razor, literally in Hebrew, no razor would pass over their hair. So it was, hey, for those of you who fought with your parents growing up, you want a long hair, all you had to do is take the Nazarite vow. And you can say, you can't cut my hair. I made a vow to the Lord. But it was a visible reminder to the world that I am visibly set apart for the things of the Lord. And is that not what the church is about? We gather because we're telling the world we're setting aside time on the Lord's day to show you that we are set apart for Jesus' work. We might not have long hair. We might like our grapeco. We might go to funerals. But we are still set apart Because we are a holy people. Because Jesus has redeemed us. That's what this is about. And so the boy grew in verse 24 and 25. The boy grew and the Lord 
blessed him. So now we get into God working. So let's read verse chapter 14, 5 through 9. So we're going we're gonna to read three chapters worth of material today. Buckle up. Chapter 14, verse 5. Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah. Now, for those of you who are astute biblical scholars now, because you know the three elements of the Nazarite vow, to be in a vineyard when you took a vow not to eat or drink or eat anything of the vine in itself is a temptation. Okay. Suddenly a young lion came roaring upon him. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon Samson, and he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. Listen, I don't, I've never torn a young goat apart with my bare hands. That in itself is, is strong. But to tear a lion apart, that's only God. But he did not tell his father or mother what he had done, so apparently they were not with them in this moment. Then he went and spoke to the woman because she seemed right to Samson. Verse 8. After some time he returned to, the, he returned to marry her. He left the road to see the lion's carcass. Okay, part two of the vow. Do not touch anything unclean. And there was a swarm of bees with honey in the carcass. He scooped some of the honey into his hands and he ate it as he went along. When he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them and they ate it. But he did not tell them that he had scooped the honey from the lion's carcass. So Samson's first feat of superhuman strength was that he ripped a lion in two with his bare hands. And when he did that, he apparently threw it aside and the lion died and the bees found the dead lion and the bees made a home in the dead lion and Samson comes back to look at the scene. I guess to, to say, you know what? I am pretty strong. And in that, he, he sees this honey and he, he takes it in his hands and he eats it because he has a taste for wild honey. Now, I could tell you that he should not have been in the vineyard, and that's true. I could have told you that he kept this a secret from his mom and his dad, and he should have told them that was true. We don't know why he did what he did, but this was failed test number one. Samson had made a vow through his mom and dad to the Lord not to touch anything unclean, and now he's eating honey made in the dead lion. See, Samson chose pleasure over purity. He chose in this moment feeling over faith. He chose comfort over conviction. And he refused to take his vow seriously. In church, if there's ever a struggle that I see in our world, it's that many do not take their faith and their vows to the Lord seriously. Samson failed test Number one. But you don't have to wait very long to fail test number two. Look at verse 10. His father went to visit the woman, and Samson prepared a feast there, as young men were accustomed to. Now, what's not said here is that this is the custom of the Philistines. So it should read, 
this was the custom of the Philistines to have this feast. When the Philistines saw him, they brought 30 men to accompany accompany him. So, test number two, we find Samson at a feast. Now, what you might not know is that there's much more going on than just a party. This is not a Chuck E. Cheese party. Right there. Samson's not passing out tokens to all of his boys and saying, you know what? Go win some tickets. Spend $20 so you can get a spider ring. Like, well, like, who does that? We do that. We do that. Or a whoopee cushion or whatever you see fit for the time. One translator translates this as a, he says, Samson went to the drink fest. The Philistines were known for their alcoholic beverages. So much so that if, if you ever go to the biblical museum of archaeology with me in Jerusalem, the Philistine vessels actually, they found in archaeology, the Philistine vessels have strainers. Because they were known to put their alcohol in that. So the Philistines still have ancient artifacts that show the world, hey, we're known for our drinking. We are a party school. We are a party community. And so in this, it's not explicitly said, but we know that for Samson to be in their midst, he was drinking and breaking vow number two. Now, I don't have to say it, but I am. Bad company always leads to bad choices. Bad company leads to bad choices. And Samson breaks the second portion of his vow. You see, again, Samson chooses pleasure over holiness. And how often do we do the same? Samson refused to take his faith seriously. And did you, did you hear what the Bible says in verse 10? As young men were accustomed to. As young Philistines were accustomed to. You see, Samson cared more about what his friends said about him than what, he, what the Lord said about him. And is that not the world that we live in, most of us? Sometimes we care more about what our social network says about us than what God knows about our hearts. Listen, if you are living to please the culture, you will die an unhappy death. Because you'll never please them. God is our audience of one. Live in right standing with the Lord. And when God directs your paths, He will make everything straight. Take your faith seriously. Verse 15 now of chapter 16. So we see Samson eating out of a dead carcass. We find Samson at the drink fest partaking with the Philistines. And now we see this in Judges 16:15. This is a Delilah speaking. Delilah says to Samson, How can you say to me, I love you, she told him, when your heart is not with me? She said, This is the third time you have mocked me and not told me what makes your strength so great. Because she, before I read this verse, 
I want every married man to look me in the eye. Do not look to the left. Do not look to the right. You just look me straight in the face for your protection. I'm, I'm serious. You look right at me. Because she nagged him day after day and pleaded with him until she wore him out. The, the JPS Torah translation says, even to the point of death. Look at me, men. You don't, you don't have to acknowledge that. You don't look to the left or the right. We're just going to move on. Verse 17. He told her the whole truth and said to her, My hair has never been cut because I am a Nazarite to God from birth. If I am shaved, my strength will leave me and I will become weak and will be like any other man. We meet in this text another one of Samson's lady friends. So if you have your children here today, that's all I'm going to say about it. But Samson had a lot of lady friends. But there was only one who received a name. There's only one who it was said that Samson loved her. Sadly, women were for Samson property or a hobby. He didn't care about them. He didn't love them. But we find one that he did, and her name was Delilah. Her name, we're not sure what her name means, but most scholars think that her name means flirtatious. She was Delilah the flirt. And we see this interplay. What Samson does not know, that the Philistines have come to Delilah and said, for 1,100 pieces of silver, if you can find out Samson's strength, because we're tired of him, if we can get rid of him, we will pay you a ransom sum of money. And so Delilah is coming to Samson and saying, hey, tell me your strength. He says, well, if you weave my hair together in a, in a loom, then I won't have any strength. And that was a lie. He says, well, if you tie me up with cords, I won't have any strength. That was a lie. He said, if you tie me up with new cords, that, that was a lie. But finally, for the first time, he reveals the truth. My hair has not been cut because I am a Nazarite to God from birth. Now, this acknowledgement is fascinating for many reasons. What does this tell us about Samson? It tells us that he knows and he is acutely aware of his spiritual calling. Samson is admitting, I know the vow that I have taken to God. Now, verse 17, though, is very specific in language. Because Samson does not say that I am a Nazarite to Adonai. He does not say that I am a Nazarite to Yahweh, the name of the covenant keeper and covenant maker. He says to Delilah, the Philistine, who has many gods, he said, well, I have, I'm a Nazarite to God. And maybe Delilah at this point is thinking, well, which God is it? Is it the God Molech? The God El? Is it the Philistine God Dagon? What God is this? And is it possible that Samson lumps his vow to the Lord in a vow to any other God? Because in that moment, Yahweh meant so little to him. Is this Samson's way of saying, I made a vow to some gods. But it doesn't matter which one. We don't know why. 
But I think in some respect, it's quite possible that Samson was embarrassed to use the name of Yahweh. Is it possible here in this scripture that Samson knew the damaging effects that he was having on the reputation of the one true God in Philistia? Is this Samson's way of saying, I know I belong to Yahweh, but I know I'm not living according to Yahweh, so I'm not going to claim the name. And Christian, if you are a Christ follower, you have no right to ever not claim the name of Jesus Christ. You see, you are to the world. You are to the world, Christ ambassador. Samson was the ambassador of Yahweh to the Philistines. And here he is in the middle of them saying, I I made a vow to a God. But he did not live up to his commitment to the one true God. Philippians 1.27 says, Just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every citizen of heaven is an ambassador on earth. Every citizen, if you have given your life to Jesus Christ, if you have been redeemed by His blood, if you have been covered by the blood of the Lamb and your sins washed free, you are a citizen of heaven and you are an ambassador in this world that Jesus is who He says He is. We're living a life that should say to the world, look at me so you can see Jesus Christ. And if you're saying right now, well, I don't want that. I don't want the world to look at me because I know I'm not living a life worthy of the manner of the gospel. That can start today. And it should. We should pour out our hearts before God and say, God, you are worthy. I believe the the story of Samson is a sad story of broken vows three times. But it's a sadder story of a man who took his faith without regard. His faith was flippant. It's as as if his faith was token and not genuine. How can you break a vow to God by eating honey out of a carcass? And we say, well, who would do that? Who would go and eat, eat anything out of a dead lion? That's not necessarily the point. The greater point is that... Samson refused to take his faith genuine and authentic. I believe if Samson lived today, he would, he would be called what we call a cultural Christian. He looked religious. He looked really strong on the outside. But inside he was morally and spiritually weak. And if I can do anything right now, I beg you, take your faith seriously. Because Jesus is worth it. If you've made the good confession, if you've been baptized, go back to that day because you were telling the world in your confession that I am Jesus and He is mine. Live in a manner worthy of your confession of faith. And I often wonder... Did Samson, was he simply tired of the cost? Did he tell Delilah the truth because he was done with this? Did you hear what he said to Delilah in verse 17 at the very end? He said, if you cut my hair, 
My strength will leave me and I will become weak and I will be like any other man. But I wonder if there's a moment where Samson wants to be like others. I have to, I have to guess and, and, and ask the Lord, is Samson just tired? Is he tired of living the narrow way? Does Samson go in the grocery store and say, man, I like their haircut. I'm tired of a mullet. Samson's saying, man, I'm tired of not being able to go to my, to my friend's funerals. Lord, it's not fair. Why do they get to go? I'm tired of being clean in this regard. And I wonder if some of you today are looking at your life and you're, and you, you're, you're crying out to God and saying, God, this Christianity thing is difficult. I'm tired. I'm, I'm tired of not being able to do what others do. I'm tired of, Lord, falling before you and confessing my sins. God, I'm just tired. If that's you, I want to remind you today that the narrow way is worth it. It is worth it. Because the narrow path leads to righteousness. But the path that is wide leads to destruction. Walk the narrow path. Paul Washer says this. He says, if following Jesus Christ does not cost you anything, it's because you have bought into American Christianity. Listen, our faith is costly. It costs Jesus his life and it costs us to turn from ourselves and die to ourselves daily. But it is worth it. May we walk the narrow way. Verse 19. So she let him fall asleep on her lap and she called a man to shave off the seven braids in his hair. That's the first haircut that Samson has ever had in his entire life. In this way, she made him helpless and the strength left him. And then she cried, Samson, the Philistines are here. And when he woke from his sleep, and this is one of the most sad verses in all of Scripture. When he woke from his sleep, he said, I will escape as I did before and I will shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Was the strength in his hair? Not entirely. The strength was in his vow. He broke the vow to stay clean. He broke the vow to avoid grapes. He broke the vow to not cut his hair. And when he finally said to God, God, I'm tired of this. I am done with this. He lost his strength. And he did not know that the Lord had departed him. So how do we live this out? Some of you are thinking, I like honey. And I like my haircut. And I like... Fill in the blank. I I like this. And are you saying I have to set this aside to follow Jesus? Listen, the life in Christ, there will be things that you have to say no to. But you're not saying no because they're good things. You're saying no because they're poisonous to your soul. And God knows that. How do we live this out? 
Samson is a reminder of how faith matters. And unfortunately, many of us have the Samson syndrome. We walk in here with our suits and our clothes and our makeup. And we say, look how put together my life is. I see you in the car. You're screaming at the kids. You're putting your eyeshadow on. You're straightening your tie. And as soon as you get out, it's, well, good day to you. <laughs> Top of the morning to you. Never been better. Be quick. And we like to live superficial lives that tell the world we have it together. That's exactly what Samson did. And in Christ, we're, we're called to the anti-Samson life. Because 2 Corinthians 12.9 says this. This is God speaking to Paul. He says, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect when you are weak. My strength is made perfect when you are weak. Church, if we hear anything today, the gospel has room for only one hero. And his name is Jesus Christ. And for some of us, that, 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 that upsets us. We say, well, I'm the he- it's this, my life is my life. I'm the hero. And God says, there's only one hero in your life. Josh, is it you or is it Jesus? And I, my prayer for some of you is that you would be sick and tired of being sick and tired. Listen, you're not Samson. And that's okay. Jesus died for you. So that when you finally admit that you are weak, you will find that his strength is made perfect. God doesn't need Samson in his kingdom. He needs people who say yes to Jesus Christ. But we lay down our lives today and say, God, you are enough. I'm tired of playing the game. Lord, I want my faith to matter because you are worth it. And if you're here and you have never given your life to Jesus Christ, remember that the Nazarite vow was given to ordinary people to make them holy. But that's what Jesus does for us. And if you want Jesus to make you holy and right today, you can pray a prayer like this. You can say, God, I know that it's not about me. Today I admit that I'm weak and I've sinned. But I believe that you sent Jesus Christ to forgive me of my sins. And Jesus died on the cross for me. I believe that. I believe he rose again. And Lord, I believe he sits at your right hand. And Lord, I trust the promise that whoever calls upon the name of your son, Jesus, will be saved. And so, God, I do that right now. Redeem me. Make me holy. I know I'm an ordinary person, but you promise that you will make ordinary people holy by the blood of your son. The Bible says that if you turn to him, if you turn to Jesus that you will be saved. I know we have a lot of children today. And some of you have never given your life to Jesus Christ. Why not today? Why not call out to God and say, God, save me. And his heavenly response is, I thought you would never ask.
Yes, I sent Jesus to die for you. Yes, I will redeem you. We have a lot of adults right now listening online and here in person. And you walked in here thinking you were Samson. But inside you are spiritually empty. Would today be the day where Jesus becomes a hero of your life? And would today be the day where you give your life to Christ? It, 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 it takes admitting the fact that you are weak. But the Christian dilemma is this. When we are weak, He is strong. And until you become weak, you will never know that He is strong. But Jesus is the hero. And He is worth it. Take your faith seriously. Let's pray. Father.